Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the SHOT podcast. Uh, my name is Joe Dar. I'm delighted to be join- joining you again today. Here in the pod uh, this afternoon, we have uh, Charles Firth. Hello. Dave Milner. G'day. And Grace Tame. Yeehaw. So we've got the full quartet mm. of potters uh, for your delectation. Um, not for our delectation, though, was the Royal Commission's report into robo-debt that was handed down last week, and it was so vast and so horrific and so consuming that we thought there could be nothing else that we would start with um, on the podcast this week. Uh, mm. It was the kind of the grand comeuppance of what had been years in the making, both in terms of the appalling nature of the policy, the cruel way in which was implemented, the success of the stonewalling that went on for years, the change of government that was required uh, in the end to get any kind of investigation um, and transparency at a government level, not, of course, uh, case when it came to the activists who'd been working away um, for so long. So really made for some quite stark reading, it's fair to say. Yeah, and look, before we sort of get in and eviscerate everyone, can I just say, like, I'm a huge supporter of paying public service workers well. Like, like I just want to put that out. You know, I think, you know, there's lots of teachers and doctors and nurses and bus drivers and... And lots of people who deserve higher, like we should pay our public servants more generally. Like, mm-hmm. don't don't you think that's a that's a good thing? We all agree with that. I think we yes. do. I think we do. Correct. Yes. yes. Solid principle, but, Charles. I think but, I can see where this is going. <laughs> the 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 woman who like the the public servant who was at the centre of who was running RoboDead right yeah. right from the beginning. You know when when. It got dreamed up in the ideological brain of Scott Morrison, who who clearly it, it, it wasn't based. The, the Royal Commission report actually says it, it wasn't based on any sort of like evidence that there was a massive problem with rorting that needed to be clawed back, or there was all these overpayments that just could easily be sorted and stuff like that. It was just dreamed out of the ideological brain of Scott, one Scott Morrison, who just reckoned. He reckoned that he could probably get a billion dollars out of the poor. Four billion. Four billion, he well, reckoned. It was something like four billion dollars, well, he reckoned. Tough, was. tough welfare beat. He's an ambitious, on the he's an ambitious man. He was, I mean, he wasn't prime minister at this point. No. So, you know, he, he went to cabinet and he said, you know, we can... We can just claw a bit of money back. What did, what did I say? I believe at one point I said that this man had the ambitions of Voldemort and the brains of Peter Griffin. And so <laughs> has been yet again proven to be the case. Yeah. 
He then goes along to Catherine um, Campbell. To our- Catherine Campbell. To Catherine Campbell, the senior public service. Says, "What do you reckon?" Right, Catherine Campbell. I like. The, I reckon the most. Sho- I mean, no, actually, this is not the most shocking finding of the whole robot thing. She was on nine hundred fucking thousand dollars per fucking year. Yeah, and still is. She could have provided some of that money. It's such a clear example of ideology overriding logic because if you are trying to find some more money, the last people that will have it are the poorest people in the fucking country. I think that was what was interesting, though, about some of the findings, and we can come into the detail because I think we've we've all been um, reading them, um, was basically that it it takes someone like Catherine Holmes to go, wow, the services, human services department should actually serve humans uh, and that it is an ideological obsession uh, and politically expedient to say that we can go searching for additional funds from people who can't fight back. And and that was, it was as simple as that. It was because these people are marginalised and or vulnerable, um, they're not going to be able to contest any of these new policy initiatives uh, that we may dream up, regardless of how unlawful and or inhumane they may be. And I think it's interesting we should come back to this issue because the fact that we had the RoboDirt Royal Commission was because they tried to do something unlawful. If they had managed to or if they had tried to and managed to get that changes to the legislation through the Senate, and admittedly it was a hostile Senate at the time, the inhumanity would have been quite beside the point. Mm. Yeah, this this is a point that Colleen, one of the whistleblowers, makes over and over again in her testimony, which is quite moving. But, you know, she was almost distraught at the state of the government's, the ideology driving it, that injustice didn't matter one iota. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and they were fully aware of the illegality of the scheme and they were fully aware of the consequences as well. This, again, this Colleen woman very early on said this will cause people to commit suicide. She said this to one of her superiors and the superior said, don't worry about it. And this is this is this this, this principle behind it of of uh, approaching people who are, you know, on uh, <clears throat> on the most part, not in all cases, but on the most part already struggling whether it's financially, mentally, or both, or for a, a myriad of reasons, approaching them to, you know, to, to try and source money from them, almost to prove a point, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's, it's going to create <laughs> the problem that you're almost accusing them of creating, you know, if you if they weren't already struggling to begin with, you're going to you're going to prove your argument. It's that it's that coerce it's the coercing those those uh, that demographic mm. into yeah, yeah. the into the idea into the projection that you have of them, so that you can stand back and say, look, that's what they're like. And we have to talk about the such a gaslight. No, it is we- an indu- it is industrial scale gaslight, is what it is. It's to say, look at those people. Look what they're like. They're all, you know, mentally ill. And the, but, and the, but, the way but, that message is carried across the nation via, like, I genuinely think a current affair has so much to answer for in terms of the way they pillory and demonise the doll bludgers every fucking week. 
for 10 fucking years. There's a story. Exactly, because what they do is they ambush people. What you don't see behind the scenes, the media are also, the mainstream media, I should say, I shouldn't say all media, I should I should specify, by and large, the mainstream media are an instrument of this sort of unregulated, unaccountable and punitive system of going after individuals who they paint a picture of and behind the scenes, they will ambush them. They will set them up. And I can speak from experience as somebody who has often tried to work with the media. And what they do is they either don't set the terms or they they set the terms and then they shift the goalposts mid game. And then what you see is what makes it onto camera or what, what makes it into, you know, the, the however the government wants to frame it. And they say, look, look at this person doing this. But it's because they were set up to behave in that way because the, the, the power holder uh, is, is the one who is, is setting the terms. Now, if your <coughs> life is, is, is subject to the whims of a higher power and you are in psychological purgatory, then of course, and that's exactly you know, what prisoner has better terms than that. And that's exactly what Catherine Holmes kind of explicitly found about the misuse of power that was going on by mm. the government ministers mm. and indeed the bureaucracy, Charles. And there's a great yeah, like if there's any doubt that the media and the government were essentially the same thing, it was the same unit. Uh, there is a great yarn in the report mm. about. How what it Tudge when Tudge took over in 2016, 2017, right? He his uh, office put together a whole lot of case studies about robo debt recipients um, who and and gave it to Simon Benson of the mm-hmm. Australian, right? Yep. Who then ran it on Australia Day, going, see, Labor's whole thing about robo-debt being not true is completely untrue. Look at all these fraudsters. It's a complete sort of thing. And they, they treated it as let's reinforce exactly the framework that we've set up here with the media. Then, and this is the great detail, it, Simon Benson then asked Tudge for a comment about the case studies he'd been fed by Tudge. And yeah. Tudge said, oh, what, a, what some great digging you've done there. <laughs> Simon. And not only that, but then it was on 2GB, I think it was, or one of the other kind of shock, shock stories the next day is that Tudge Mm. comes on and talks at great length about the great work that the Australian has done to uncover these stories (laughs) and to reinforce the fact that this notion that these were fake debts or the government committing fraud against marginal people was not true here. Look at this. And I think there was a sort of, it was a great kind of moment where Rochelle Miller really did get her revenge on the government in spectacular form by just going and telling the truth in the witness box at the Royal Commission and really, you know, pulling down the curtain um, to reveal the wizened Oz behind. Um, a great moment. And, and and what it shows is, yeah, you're right, like it, was, it was propaganda of the deed, right? They set up this illegal scheme that wasn't based on anything other Fraudulent than... Fraudulent scheme. I, I, re- yeah. I reckon the poor are, yeah. should be fucked over a bit more. Yeah. And then, and then planted a whole lot of stories to reinforce that completely false premise. Like, that, that is literally... And then it was... Protected for years and years and years, you had to get rid of the government before the law could actually have any consequence. I've seen the media talking about um, 
the populism in this. And I think it's you need to go a step back from that because it's not inherently popular. It's the way it's framed that makes it popular. You see the way um, Social Security is reported on in parts of Europe and it's it's very much, it lacks the stigma. It's just about helping the people that need the most Providing the security. Yeah, and so if a politician tried this stuff, it's not actually a popular move. It's the, the... the consent for it to be popular needs to be manufactured by the narrative that's just spread across the country with assholes like Simon Benson jumping when they're told to jump. It seems, and there seems to be a fundamental lack of understanding of why a lot of people actually have social security in the first place. And it's, yeah, look, we could talk about this all day. It goes into the psychology of Scott Morrison, right? Because I'm absolutely certain that the reason he thought that it, he was onto such a winner with RoboDebt is because he looked at welfare and he went, well, if I was poor, this is what I'd do. I'd rot the system in this way, this way, and this way, right? And it was just total projection. It was like, it always I, is I'm, with a, them. I'm a yep. dishonest fuckwit and so must everyone else be, right? And, you know, it'll be, such, it'll be so easy to just grab lots of money out of that. And in actual fact, it's so interesting, the fight, like, Like the actual level of systematic fraud in the system (coughs) is described in the report as minuscule. Minuscule. It is literally minuscule. And there was a great. um, What did they get in the end? Like it was like four four million. I know they. Well, they ended up getting about four hundred million, but that was basically money that a lot of people didn't owe in the first place, and so it was a net cost in the end. Yeah. Oh, the other great detail um, is that. Yeah, yeah. So, but a lot of that was unintentional overpayment. Like the actual level of systematic fraud was 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 minuscule, right? And that's because, as somebody pointed out earlier in the week, imagine being the type of person who goes, "You know what? I'm going to commit fraud for a living, and the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to pretend to have two extra kids and get twenty dollars extra a fortnight." You know, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to master family tax benefit A and B, you know, and then really. it's genuine. <laughs> Juice the numbers on it. Centrelink is a. F- <laughs> I've been a student at various points in my life, and I've been on, you know, not job seeker, yeah. but new start. It's a fucking oh, pain in the ass trying yeah. to get any fucking money out of Centrelink, let alone illegal money. I'm going to get uh, a mark. I'm going to start a marketing career, and then I'm going to become prime minister, and <laughs> yeah, then I'm going to. But I. What was, I think, really sort of devastating in the report was the level of collusion that went on within the public servants mm, service yes. to keep this completely secret and then the systematic way that those checks and balances that should be within the system also failed so that when mm. um, there was collusion going on within the public service to try and, for example, deceive the ombudsman, um, that worked. The ombudsman was not sufficiently rigorous in the investigation that he undertook that a fraudulent report or report containing fraudulent information was ultimately produced that then gave further cover to the government because they could then wave around the ombudsman report and said, look here, it's all fine, the ombudsman has said so, even though that report was produced with misinformation that had been deliberately provided by the public service. Aside. Yeah. Mm. And so that, and I think Catherine Holmes makes that point, is that there was a failure across really every level um, of government to 
twig to what was going on within mm. by the group of people who were doing it quite deliberately in order to either either out of cowardice um, or you know avarice mm. or banality or any number of excellent words that Catherine Holmes included in the report. But, but one of the interesting things was all the way up the chain, they did, like when the public servants were asked, well, why why did you do that? Why did you go outside the norms of what a public servant should do? Why did you hide that report? Why didn't you have evidence? And there's some great yarns in there. I mean, it's horrible, but they're just, they're, they're sort of, almost funny in their tragedy. Like one of the ones early on is about how they ran a test on the algorithm that they were going to roll out for RoboDead and it and it was called income averaging, right? It was this yeah. new method to, to work out how much people had been overpaid. And it, it, the number it came back with, well, it was on average 56% more than actually what the person had been paid, right? Like, like, so it was just completely wrong. It was a fraudulent debt by fifty percent, fifty six percent more than than. So, so the algorithm did not work, right? And instead of going, okay, well, let's go and fix the algorithm and get it to be, you know, more precise. They went, okay, let's just roll it out now. <laughs> like, 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 yeah, that's how roll that's it out how anyway. Just like bad process it was, right? But all the way through every single like even if you get to the more senior level of the public servants it was like well there was pressure from above there was pressure from above that this had to happen and no no expense should be spared no you know no law should be worried about to sort of thing and i think that that what what is that that is implying and i think we you know this brings us to the sealed section is that Really, it was coming down from the ministers. It was, it was Morrison. It was Tudge. It was Robert. You know, it was Christian Porter, who, you know, but especially Morrison, who was just going, no, no. Oh no, Charles, he put a statement out. Yeah. Did you see? He um he denied, denied everything. all adverse information. And, and there's no <laughs> documentary evidence at all to support it at all, yeah. apart from the 950 mm. pages of the uh, actual report. And and he he released it forty five minutes after the report was handed down. Nobody got extra special sort of early access to it. So he managed to read all nine hundred pages of the report in forty five minutes, and then uh, come out against all of them. The interesting Isn't that amazing? thing, I think, Charles, I, I don't think that happened. Charles, he, his statement was very blank. But I think <laughs> very the interesting thing is, he, well, he said, "I disagree with all the adverse findings yeah. against me." How does he know? He hasn't read the re- fucking report. And he was in Italy at the time. But to that point, though, is what was interesting. Where, where, the, where the rest of the mafia are. Yeah, but, but from Catherine Campbell to Scott Morrison in particular, uh, but Christian Porter as well, they very specifically tried to defend themselves by saying, oh, it was a slight oversight or how could how were we supposed to know um, Despite the fact that we were the most senior people at the apex of power within the Australian government being paid hundreds and thousands of dollars uh, and indeed Westminster principles of ministerial responsibility, apparently it was not our job to be on top of the new um, policy proposals <laughs> that we were put taking to Cabinet and that then we were implementing through our departments. That was not our job to make sure that that was lawful in any way and if junior public servants didn't do their job by pointing things out to us, then, oh, well, that's a shame, isn't it? So even if 
what they were saying was true, which, of course, <laughs> Catherine Holmes did not believe and did not find to be the case, even if that was the case with a ministerial responsibility in Westminster government in in this whole mess. That, that, that's what I find, that at every turn there is no defence um, for what actually went on over the course of many years of robo-debt. Well, this, this goes back to what Grace was saying about sort of gaslighting and mm. and basically lying about the whole thing, doesn't it? Like, it does. It does. <laughs> and one of the things it's that was also... Called, it's it's a, it's a six-step process. It's called grooming. It's called <laughs> targeting, well, yeah, identifying a vulnerable victim, um, mm. gaining trust, filling a need. I think they missed that step, them. <laughs> They missed the gaining trust um, step. <laughs> well, they did. Well, that's, yeah. that was the leaking of the, you know, stories to, Andy Fox's. to Simon Benson. Look, was, and what was, was interesting, yeah, again, yeah, was that. Trust, trust, is, trust, in order to have an, in order for there to be an operation of an industrial scale like this, there needs to be, there needs to be trust. There needs to, because there's certain channels of communication that needs to be, that need to be trusted in order for this level of subterfuge. Yeah, and I guess speaking Australia as, is speaking, speaking speaking as somebody who has been groomed yeah. and has had to break through that. And I think and it, and of, this is what it is. It's it, it's called social engineering. There's this this is an this is this rigs of social engineering. This but is part an, of the problem here in Australia is our, well, our generally our apathetic approach, and that we were kind of complacent because it did go on for years. Even as you had whistleblowers from all I, different areas, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think people underestimate the thuggery and skullduggery of something that is so, so comes from so high up because what happens behind the scenes when a lot of people do try to blow the whistle and what, what one of people do resist against such a scheme um, is that the, the resistance that comes back from the people who are operating the scheme is really, really scary. And you don't see that. You don't see what happens often, the intimidation, whether that is intimidation verbally or it is intimidation psychologically or both, or the intimidation actually does uh, escalate to the level um, and it might be over time, but it, that, that intimidation harassment escalates to, the, to, to a level that is beyond just uh, verbal and, and, well, it becomes psychological when it becomes a pattern um, because then in one mind one sort of does the work of the um the, the schema um and it forms a schema it's called a schema um you know what happens is you know the the, the resistance becomes Mm. It, it, yeah, it becomes. Well, a I think that, and narrative. that is exactly what Catherine Holmes said when she talked about the misuse yeah. of government power. That that's it, what Hutch was yes. explicitly doing. So I, don't think, the, um, I don't think it's necessarily complacency. I think it. I think it took a long time for the truth to come out because there were probably people that were. It wasn't just. An, it wasn't inactive. It wasn't. No, it was. This is. This is exactly right, Grace. One of the um the star witnesses, Colleen. I mentioned her earlier in the show. She quit the public service in 2017. I think. Uh, after voicing lots and lots of complaints about this. And after it was 20 odd years in the job, she got a letter from the department and the the whole point of the letter was shut up now. Yeah. You know, mm. reminding about whistleblower laws. And and so she was she was deeply concerned that she was going to go to jail at some well, point. Well, the same Trevor Carney at the AAT, I mean, he actively found that it was uh, unlawful and for the for doing so he lost his job at the AAT. Mm. I mean, there were people who were trying 
Um, and then eventually, yeah. of course, some in the mainstream media came through, in The Guardian being a notable exception. But prior to all of that, and one of the things that really did break through ultimately was the activism that was taking place on Twitter. Um, mm. Asher Wolf, Not My Debt, um, those sorts of campaigns that were the first crack, if you like, in the edifice. Um, uh, and Catherine Holmes specifically singled out um, some of these activists uh, to thank them and note formally the contribution that they had made to this whole thing coming crumbling down. But it is interesting, though, and we've talked a lot and we probably don't need to talk too much um, about what has happened to Twitter and the great disaster of Elon Musk. But one does wonder, um, as Twitter comes to a grinding slow halt and people, you know, go off to blue sky of threads or wherever they're trying out this week, would that be as effective now that that town place has been so dramatically and successfully undermined by tech bro Musk? I mean, no. I'm actually writing about social media. I'm back at the desk after a month of being on my deathbed. Yeah, hence um, the husky voice. No. Which is working for you, Dave. Just, but- sorry, Dave, can, can, yeah. we just, can we just ask you, so uh, you had the flu, right? Is I right? did. I had influenza yeah, yeah. and then a secondary and, and, infection. And so you, Mr. Vaccine, everyone should get a vaccine. <laughs> did, you have the, did you have the flu vaccine this year? I was... It was on my list of things to do. I had, you know, really, really important. St- I'm going to get it next you, year. I'm definitely going to get it next you're year. You're a fucking hypocrite. You are as bad I'm as Scott a, Morrison. No, I'm not a hypocrite. No. I am Wash a your stoner. Mouth and I, <laughs> it's hard for we freelancers. Like I used to get it at work. My employer used to be, well, you know, the one who would deliver the flu vaccine to me. And now that, Charles, now that I've worked for myself. send me some myself, flu vaccine. You're my employer. Yeah, that's right. This is, <laughs> you could the sue hell? the chaser for kind of probably you can't. So we'll move on from that. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But yeah, no, it, it does it'd be interesting. Well, we can perhaps talk about this a bit more, um, Dave, when you've written your piece, uh, because I think that is one of the, apart from the, the great loss that we all feel generally about, you know, when we want to do you know, hang about online and mock Collingwood fans, for example. Um, it's it's perhaps more significant than that in matters of public policy. But look, one of the other things um, that perhaps we might segue into was that, uh, you know, it's salutary that it took a royal commission to have someone like Catherine Holmes just say, guys, what the hell, like um, social security is there for when people need it and perhaps the biggest change that we need to make is to stop demonising people in need mm. uh, and government cruelty and inhumanity is, oh, a bad <coughs> thing. Now, just because robo-debt has been upended and revealed in all of its sordid horror, there is still arbitrary and inhumane behaviour um, happening at a senior government level, perhaps not on such an mm. individual basis as this, but we heard in the judgment oh, that was handed man. down 
I don't know about that. Well, you can prove me wrong then, Grace, because I think at the um, the point that I was going to make is that uh, handed down in the federal court and you were there um, was an excoriating judgment um, in the case of Moz, which was to do with alternative places of detention. So basically refugees being locked up in hotel rooms for months and months on end and they were transformed by the, you know, um, a signature, the stroke of a pen, into mini detention centres. And the judge found uh, that whilst this behaviour and these policies were completely inhumane and cruel, they were in fact legal. Um, so, Grace, you, you were in the courtroom, I think, when this judgment was handed down and have been doing a bit of a deep dive into to the ongoing nature of the cruelty of our refugee policies despite the change of government. Yes, correct. Well, so I'm friends with Moz. <clears throat> and I was there on Thursday, last Thursday, we were in Melbourne at the federal court. Um, he took on the federal government last year. And as you said, uh, the judge, which is, it was, it's actually unusual for the judge to, to share such personal, what were clearly personal feelings about the conditions inside these so-called alternative places of detention, the APODs, uh, shortened to, that's the acronym, um, to share his personal feelings. Um, but however, you know, judges can only interpret the law. They can't write the law. And under the Migration Act, the piece of legislation is the Migration Act um, 1958, um, the minister, the immigration minister, holds enormous discretionary power and that includes the power to ha- have these hotels be alternative places of detention so it is actually legal uh, another condition of the well another another power within the migration act is that mandatory detention is indefinite so there are no terms set uh under the under the legislation uh also under the terms um is there's no distinction made between an adult and a child um who is detained and it's quite plain to see that there's a lack of humanity, as the judge recognised. Um, however, one of the things that the judge, his name was uh, Bernard Murphy, that's the federal court judge who, who, um, who gave the, the judgment. Um, one of the things he said was, you know, he wondered at the lack of thought and the lack of care. And, and I understand what he meant in that context. However, um, I personally... I think, well, you know, the argument could be made that that surely there's a fair amount of care and thought that needs to go into maintaining and staffing um, these uh, detention centres both onshore and offshore um, when you think about it because it is, it's an entire system. Much like we were talking about before, this was a, this was a, an industrial scale um, complex, you know, and the immigration um, complex is something that for for decades and decades has been run with with these indefinite terms, um, and that in of itself ends up being punitive because what you have are people who are fleeing persecution in the majority of cases, and they're seeking asylum, which is a human right. And they're finding themselves then in a situation where they're not knowing when their processing is going to end. And 
you know, that the argument is, oh, well, um, they've come here illegally. And it's like, yes, well, you know, if, if they weren't fleeing a war, war zone, they probably would have, um, they probably would have gone about it the right way. But they, they probably would have sat down. I mean, it's not illegal, as you haven't. say, to, to seek refuge. It's, 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 to seek exactly. Refuge. Seeking asylum is a human right. Mm. And, and it's legal under the Migration Act. That's the thing. Oh, it is. It's legal under the Migration Act to do that. However, when they're arriving, part of, part, part of the problem is that, the, you know, the, the, the resources are not being spent on things like, um, you know, lawyers and things like that um, to process these people faster. We've got a lot of the resources are being spent on. No, well, they're spending hundreds of like millions. That. And sometimes it's hard to know exactly what the resources are being spent on because we're spending sort of hundreds of millions of dollars to keep open detention centres on Nauru where apparently there are no longer deten- <laughs> detainees there. Um, um, so it is, I mean, God, it's the most extraordinary waste of money even on the terms, the inhumane terms that the system of the system itself, um, it, it is extraordinary. It's like it's worse than defence when it comes to setting fire to money um, for the value that we get for it. Well, and with respect to with respect to the fact that there has been a change since the previous government, however, we still can't know what exactly is going on in this immigration system lack of transparency. because there's a lack of transparency. Uh, I believe it's the, um, yeah, it's operation, it's protected under Operation Sovereign Borders or the Secrecy Act or, you know, both. And what we've got is an inability because of these um, protections to actually gather correct data around how many people are in hotel detention, how many people are in offshore detention, and the number of detention facilities, so onshore detention facilities, for example, it's, it's quite large. You know, there's dozens and dozens of these makeshift facilities across Australia. So how, mm. how do you get the ALP to care about this then? It, like, especially if it's secret, it sounds like, well, it's never going to really be raised as an issue because it's, you know. Well, this <laughs> like was part no of one... the problem of, you know, the small target kind of platform that mm. the op- then opposition took to the last election. And and this, I think, was one of the key problems with the fact that they then won majority government because they went in with this very small target policy, which meant that you couldn't have proper discussions about um, tax policy, about climate change, about housing policy and about refugee policy um, because they wanted to make sure there was not a sliver of air between them and the government, that the, the then government, so that they, the then government could wedge them on it. And yet now we have to reap the very sad rewards of that in that we are still engaging in utterly inhumane behaviour. And, you know, it's been years since people were first saying that eventually there will be, like there was with robo debt a reckoning and probably a royal commission into what went on in our name and we will pretend to be equally as shocked by the revelations that come out in that royal commission and they will be as shocking and they will demonstrate that these policies were dangerously, fatally um, inhumane. Um, they are, but we've, we've also spread it. The UK has yeah. adopted yes. our yes. policies and our rhetoric and they have a 15-year window. They, they can see what's happened and the, the path that we've projected on. Except that That's- over there, the High Court found that it was a breach of human rights. And so the Rwanda policy was struck down by the courts in a way that it never has been here. And that 
probably is because of the lack of our human rights um, protections and here. Mm-hmm. It's actually, and it's not about it's not about opening the floodgates. It's about redesigning the gates so that they're more humane and they're actually they actually are. You know, because one of the arguments is, oh, it's just inefficiency, or it's just you know, it's like it's it's administrate it's it's an administrative error, which is. To, to be quite frank, it's a that's a load of bullshit. Well, that's exactly you, the same though like as I the said, excuses to, that we tried to, to use to be, for robo debt. Yeah, you need to be. There needs to be uh, in order to well, like this is a bit different though because there are human beings on the ground who are there. They need to be there in order to maintain these facilities. That's a little bit different. No, but I guess I'm saying when you say there's an administrative oversight or it's an error, but there are people who are being paid hundreds of millions of dollars who therefore need to be accountable for delivering the the services that they're paid for. A lot of the same arguments are lobbed as a smokescreen to defend this shadow system of government that has been able to operate and fester through these existing loopholes in this very weak, poorly worded or, or definition, this, this legislation that is lacking in definitional specificity because there are no terms. There are no terms and conditions. So therefore, all the discretionary power sits with the minister and, and, or, and the government. So, you know, what it is, is it's not it's not allowing the floodgates to open because I think maybe perhaps there are there are people who think oh we're just going to be you know overrun with with refugees which is a load of rubbish. Um, it's about it's about having us having a system in place whether whether those floodgates are this are actually designed and there are terms. That's the whole point. Is okay. Well, if you have the power to detain people, then set some terms about that detention. Mm. Which is originally what detention benefit, was including, supposed to be. It was not supposed it, yes, to be indefinite. Exactly. It should be limits exactly, on the amount of time. At the, at the moment, you know, because, you know, like Moz, who's, who's, a, who's a dear friend of mine, was right in, in, in his response to Abul Rizvi, who, who sort of said, oh, I don't think, you know, I don't think it was designed as an instrument of torture, um, but it was designed as a political weapon. And Moz sort of, you know, interjected and he said, you know, you are, I don't think you're a naive person. Um, you know, you know exactly what happened to me. And I would, I would add to back Moz up. I would say, what the, is the difference yeah. between a, an instrument of of torture of something? What is the difference between torture and um, a political weapon when when there is no end in sight? You know, like we were saying before, like pr- prisoners have better rights. You you commit a crime and you get a sentence. You know when mm. your end is coming and, and you can psychologically prepare yourself for that because what we have at the moment is a system wherein um, these people are essentially being broken. Their spirit is being broken until they either give up and go home and or they call their family back home and they tell them it's not worth it. Australia is not worth it. And I think it's worse. to that point is that actually whether or not it was designed as an prophecy. instrument of of torture or not is that is how it is functioning on the ground. A, so a lot of the a lot of the records, like there are there are test there are testimonials on the record, not just from the refugees themselves who have withstood these conditions, but from the security guards and from the caseworkers in these offshore environments. I mean, the the story that the Guardian printed about the men who were waterboarded. So I, I mean, 
I, yeah. Come on. I think there will be a reckoning of this and hopefully in the not too distant future, but I think there will need to be minority government here because the Labor Party are not going to demonstrate the political courage or will to unravel this kind and of And that's what it is. It's shame. cowardice. It's yeah. cowardice. It's cowardice. Um, yes. Well, look, I think we've... All been horrified by the revelations of the Robo Debt Royal Commission. Um, it, look, if you haven't had a look at it, it is damning reading. Uh, Nine hundred pages there, and that's not including the sealed section that we were all very excited to eventually discover. We look forward to chatting again next week. Uh, Dave, is your social media uh, article going to be up on the shop on Friday? I don't. No. Don't know. Well, sometime soon. We look forward to reading that and hopefully we can have more of a conversation about that and I'll be very pleased to hear all of your views on threads because without the hashtag facility, it's not doing it for me. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm very unfamiliar with the Instagram influencer type of person and that's what I found the most confronting the last couple of days. So these very cheery, very self-assured, vapid people with half a brain cell telling me how to live my life. It's It's... Confronting. Well, there's nothing like kind of undermining like success by then the head of Threads saying, oh, yeah, we don't want to really be talking about politics here. This is much more about um, sunny days and culture. And you thought, dude, really, I don't think that's why <laughs> 70 million people have just downloaded you in the last four hours. Anyway, we'll come back to that next week. Thank you very much I for have, listening. I, um, I have enjoyed yet. <laughs> no, I think it's like one billionaire to another. But anyway, we can uh, perhaps we'll dive into that next week. Uh, look forward to chatting then. Cool. Uh, oh yeah, and our gear is from Road, and we are part of the Iconic Class Network. See ya. See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.